This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. It's estimated that the cost of nutritional supplements taken to enhance athletic performance in the United States alone exceeds $130 billion per year. Multiple nutritional supplements are commercially available and they're marketed to enhance endurance, build muscle strength, improve exercise efficiency, and decrease the chance of injury. But do these supplements actually deliver the benefits they claim? Are they safe? Are they regulated in any way? And what age athletes are taking these supplements? These are all questions I'll be asking our guest today, Dr. Andrew Jagum, the Director of Sports Medicine Research at the Mayo Clinic. Andrew, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, you deal a lot with athletes and Let's start by asking you, how do you approach an athlete who comes to you and wants to improve their performance? Where do you start and what do you recommend right at the beginning? First thing I like to do is just kind of get a background idea of what their current training habits may look like, what they're doing as far as a strength conditioning program, uh, maybe get into some of their general dietary habits. Are they eating enough of the right things? Do they eat breakfast? Are they eating you know, frequently throughout the day? Do they get enough sleep? So I kind of hit with some of those basic principles that an athlete should be following if they're looking to kind of optimize performance. So oftentimes I don't even approach the topic of supplements until I, I at least kind of get an idea of where they're at with some of those other really important lifestyle habits, because if they're not doing a lot of those basic principles, there's some big kind of low hanging fruit items to take care of first that will really go a long way with improving their performance early on. Again, before we even need to get into some of the maybe more fancy training things or supplements that athletes may have questions about. Okay. So do they work? Do nutritional supplements actually improve an athlete's performance? It's kind of a, a tough question to answer with a, a yes or no. So there are some supplements out there, some ingredients that can offer some performance benefits. But one thing that I like to relay to, to young athletes, again, is they're only going to work if you put in the work yourself. So again, if you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not following a consistent training program, if you're not eating enough and the right kinds of foods, taking a supplement, hoping that it's going to make up for all those other deficiencies, hoping that it's going to be some magic bullet it's really not going to offer a lot of benefits in that type of situation. But for maybe a high-level athlete who is doing a lot of the little things correctly, there are a handful of supplements available that can offer some small kind of marginal improvements in performance. They're not going to kind of all of a sudden make them a super athlete and send them to the Olympics. But again, there are some out there that have been uh, shown through different clinical trials to offer some performance advantages. Okay. So it's kind of like the person who wants to lose weight and doesn't really want to diet, doesn't really want to exercise, but's looking for that one pill per day that's going to magically take off 20, 30 pounds. That's just not out there. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. So, and, and even if we kind of look into maybe ingredients or substances that do offer really large performance benefits, oftentimes those are the ones that are banned ingredients. They might be illegal substances. And so that's kind of a really a very different conversation to be had altogether. That's not really what we mean when we discuss dietary supplements. And again, in that category, you may see some much larger performance improvements, but they, again, could be illegal, banned by sport. That's a, a very different type of product that we're discussing. So let me ask a little bit about that. Are 
some of these products that anybody can buy in nutrition stores, are they actually banned by certain uh, athletic associations? Most of the ingredients that are commercially available that are sold kind of over the counter in kind of most dietary supplement products that we think of, most of those are allowed by most governing and sports agencies. Uh, if we get down into the high school level, sometimes they may have some more specific list of banned ingredients. Caffeine sometimes is one that will pop up on a high school or even collegiate level list of banned ingredients, which is, you know, obviously a very popular product that a lot of people consume in different ways. So sometimes smaller organizations may have their own list of banned ingredients, but for the most part, again, over-the-counter products don't really contain a lot of banned ingredients that would cause an athlete to fail or drug test or get them in trouble with whatever their sporting organization is. Okay. So how commonly do athletes take these supplements? I know they're so easily available. You go into a nutrition store and just aisle after aisle of supplements for enhancing performance are available. Is, is this pretty common for athletes to take these? It is. And, and we see it even all the way as young as middle school age and into the high school uh, athletes will start taking some supplements. I would say probably in the range of 20 to 40% of athletes at, at the younger age groups have taken or are currently taking some type of dietary supplement product. And that could mean something like a protein bar, protein shake, a multivitamin, or it could be something like a pre-workout supplement or creatine or some of the other kind of performance focused ingredients that are out there as well. And that popularity of use just continues to go up as they get older. So we see higher percentages of use at the collegiate level and then probably even higher up at the professional level. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you if you saw this dropping down into the high school age students, but even middle school, that's, uh, that's, that's really surprising. That's, those are pretty young kids. Yep. And some of that, that research is even 10, 15 years old now that showed, you know, eighth graders might be taking something like a protein supplement. And my thought is that that number is probably even higher now. As you mentioned earlier, the supplement industry is booming and just the availability and the marketing has just grown immensely over the last even five years. So my guess is a lot of that supplement use, if anything, is probably going up even in younger age groups. Mm -hmm. Do you think schools are recommending their uh, student athletes take supplements like high schools I'm thinking of? In my experience, most schools don't. Most of them tend to kind of advise against taking supplements, uh, at least from an official kind of recommendation standpoint. I've worked with a few coaches that don't necessarily recommend supplements, but they also understand that their athletes may take them regardless of, of what the coach or athletic director is saying. So they try to at least point them in the right direction of consulting with an expert or consulting with their, their doctor before just going into a supplement store and, and listening to whatever the sales rep is trying to tell them. So again, in my experience, most coaches in, in high schools will approach it that way of, okay, if they know their athlete is interested in taking them, despite what they tell them, here's some educational resources or here's some people that we can point them to, to at least help them kind of follow safe supplement practices if possible. Mm -hmm. Well, I know when you look at any given nutritional supplement, there's a variety of brands available and therefore a variety of costs available. Can a consumer assume that the more expensive product is better than the one which is less expensive or it doesn't cost have anything to do with it? 
I would say for the most part, that's not necessarily true. Uh, maybe with the caveat of supplements that are very, very cheap and inexpensive. If, if they're shockingly low compared to others, you could probably assume they're probably not the most reputable product. Uh, they may not follow appropriate manufacturing and regulatory standards for safe supplement practices. So the very, very cheap, low quality ones, you may be kind of getting what you're paying for uh, at that end of the spectrum. But uh, even at the higher end, just because it, it may be marketed as a really high end kind of fancy looking supplement may not necessarily mean that it's more effective or safer. Uh, it really comes down to the, the brand itself. Are they a brand and company that kind of does things the right way? Do they purchase their product? Do they have them manufactured in a facility that follows good manufacturing practices? Do they follow all the regulatory standards? Uh, a lot of companies will even send their products to a third party company that tests them for purity and making sure they're free of any banned adulterants or banned ingredients. And so those are the companies to really direct patients towards or athletes towards the, the companies just do that do things the right way. And again, will invest in product quality. And that does come with the price. They have to pay for a lot of those kind of safety measures and third party testing. So again, in those instances, that product might be a little bit more expensive, but you're paying that extra dollar because you're ensuring that it's a higher quality product that's been kind of verified by a third party to make sure, again, it's a, a quality product, free of banned ingredients, and for athletes that are maybe drug tested or participate in sports that have a list of banned ingredients, that's very important because sure. if they take a product that has mm -hmm. a, a banned ingredient in it, it may or may not be on the label. Uh, oftentimes that falls on them. I mean, at the professional level, that can be millions of dollars uh, on the line. So they need to really uh, make sure they are going the extra mile and paying attention to the quality of products uh, that they're choosing. You mentioned regulatory standards. So are these products actually regulated by some agency or is that optional? That's kind of a topic up for debate sometimes. So I would say officially, yes, uh, all dietary supplements are regulated by the FDA. Some people think they're a little bit loose as they don't necessarily require a lot of pre-market regulatory processes like we see in the pharmaceutical industry. So a lot of supplement companies don't necessarily have to demonstrate safety and efficacy data uh, through a series of human clinical trials like you necessarily see again in the pharmaceutical industry. But again, the FDA will get involved if there are any post-market issues that come to light. And they've done that with hundreds of different products and ingredients. If you think of ephedra or dimethylalamine, DMMA, some of these stimulants that have resulted in some you know, adverse events, again, those products, the FDA will step and send a kind of a cease and desist letter almost to those companies, having them pull products off the shelves and maybe do follow-up investigations. And then also the FDA, in conjunction with the Federal Trade Commission, will also oversee a lot of the marketing claims. So they can't necessarily just put whatever they want on a label saying, this product's going to make you bigger, stronger, faster, or cure XYZ type of an ailment. So there is some level of oversight there as well. The problem is that industry just grows so quickly. So oftentimes it's difficult for them to keep up with every new product and ingredient that comes to the market. It may take them a few years to kind of catch up with things that are already being sold and consumed by people. As I was doing uh, research for this topic, I, I, I came across a lot of websites specifically for different products and they, they pretty much you know, promise to turn you into an all-star athlete. 
uh, are there reliable websites where consumers can go to actually see that these may be helpful and they're safe? Where can we look to look for safety information? Yeah, I would say the, the NIH's Office of Dietary Supplements is a really good one to start. They provide a nice summary of a lot of the, the safety and efficacy data that's available and kind of highlighting the literature that's been pro or against any particular ingredient. Uh, again, whether or not it may offer a performance benefit, if it's safe, they also have a list of all the ingredients that have kind of been found by the FDA to be highly suspicious or result in a series of adverse events and maybe are no longer even commercially available. So they keep track of a lot of that information. The International Society of Sports Nutrition is another good resource. They have several different position stands that are available that have, again, summarized all the literature on a particular ingredient and whether or not it is efficacious or if there are any safety concerns and also highlighting specific dosing recommendations for those products. And then I would say uh, maybe more practical ones that you could refer a patient towards would be examine.com is probably one of the best objective evidence-based and kind of user-friendly resources out there that provides a quick summary of what a particular ingredient is, a brief summary of the literature, whether or not it, it kind of quote unquote may work, and then again, if there's any safety concerns or contraindications for use. So those are some resources that I think are helpful for people trying to learn more about supplements, which ones have more research to support their use. And then again, if there are any safety considerations to make note of. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are there some supplements that are commercially available to anybody that have some potential harm? Yes, there, there are. As with anything, there can be kind of too much of a good thing. If, if sometimes if you take some of these products in excess, that can cause adverse events. We actually published a, a paper this summer in Mayo Clinic Proceedings that highlighted some of the adverse events that have been reported to the FDA over the years. And we found caffeine-containing products were at a higher risk or represented a higher percentage of adverse events compared to non-caffeine-containing products. And then in particular, it appeared that pre-workout supplements and weight loss supplements were ones that, again, were associated with higher odds of having an adverse event. And I think some of that was the fact that those may be more susceptible to misuse. So maybe people consuming two serving sizes instead of one or even more. And also those products tend to be more susceptible to adulteration. So those are products that have been found to have added stimulants, amphetamine-like analogs that have been kind of added off-label to those types of products that, again, probably lend themselves to a higher risk of adverse events from consuming, again, just maybe even the recommended amount, or certainly if you're consuming more of those types of products, you're more likely to experience some type of adverse event from that. Mm, okay. Can you give us some examples of some of the more popular nutritional supplements that athletes are taking and comment on what are they supposed to do and do they actually do that? I would say protein and creatine are probably the two most popular supplements that we see athletes taking. And they also happen to be two of the most kind of well-supported supplements within the literature. So they've both been studied for several years and even decades now supporting their performance benefits. So protein just like we see with the whole food source of protein, it offers a, a plethora of benefits because of uh, the amino acids that can help support muscle recovery, muscle growth, repair, in addition to all the other cellular functions it's involved with. But for an athlete, 
generally that can help them recover quicker from workouts, maybe put on muscle mass through a training program. So again, that can help them lead to enhanced training adaptations over time. And then with creatine, it's an amino acid-like compound that is naturally available in different uh, animal meat and food sources, but creatine we store within the muscle and it offers a high energy compound. So it can help facilitate energy production during any type of high intensity intermittent bout of activity, which is applicable to a lot of athletes who are doing team sport activities, conditioning type activities, any kind of strength type activity that can essentially just help them provide a high energy source during those types of activities. So if consumed on a regular basis, they're just going to be able to get more work done or high quality work done in those training sessions, which is why it's been shown to augment training adaptations over time. All right. What else do you see? Uh, I would say beta alanine is another kind of newer supplement within the last 10 years or so that is also one that's been well supported within the literature. And beta alanine is another amino acid compound that can be found within the diet. We do produce it endogenously, but beta alanine is the rate limiting precursor for the production of carnosine, which is an intramuscular buffer. So the more carnosine we have stored within skeletal muscle offers a higher buffering capacity of muscle which will help kind of tolerate high intensity exercise. When people are doing work at a high intensity for extended periods of time, they get that intramuscular acidosis type of sensation where it kind of feels like their legs might be on fire. So having a higher buffering capacity will help tolerate that, maybe allowing them to push through a few extra repetitions, sprint faster for X amount of time longer, or whatever type of training that they might be doing. So uh, again, there's a growing amount of literature now supporting the benefit of beta alanine as a supplement as well. And I would say one of the other ones that has also been well supported as of late within the literature is, is beetroot juice or inorganic nitrate. So uh, those can be found again in any type of beetroot product. So beets themselves offer these performance advantages, but now they're starting to isolate them in juice form, you can even get beetroot powder or different kind of beet shots or little kind of shooter type drinks. And again, they are within these types of products, there's a higher amount of inorganic nitrate. So once it's consumed, digested and absorbed within circulation, what it does is kind of stimulate the production of nitric oxide within the vasculature, which can essentially just vasodilate those vessels and increase blood flow and nutrient delivery during exercise. Uh, so that will, again, help promote aerobic and anaerobic type activities and can lead to improved kind of training. And then over time, we see those performance benefits uh, exert themselves after continual use as well. So I would say those kind of four or five ingredients are probably ones that are most well supported within the literature. They have a very good safety profile and there's pretty specific dosing recommendations out there on, on how athletes could take them to help improve their performance. So do we have a lot of athletes out there with uh, blue urine from all the beet juice they're drinking? <laughs> yeah, there, there have been those kind of reports that it, it can cause some odd urine you know, effects. Yeah. And, and the taste itself isn't great either. So sometimes athletes have to literally kind of shoot it down quickly because it doesn't have the best taste to it. Well, I love beets, but I still have trouble reaching for the TV remote. So I don't think it's doing much for me. <laughs> you mentioned caffeine earlier. Does caffeine actually have any performance potential benefits? 
It does. So caffeine's been well used, I would say, quite a bit in the endurance world. So marathoners, triathletes have long time used caffeine as an ergogenic aid, and it's been shown to improve time to exhaustion, marathon, 10K type performance. And that's kind of been well supported for years. And we're starting to see a lot more work recently transition into maybe more of the strength type sports anaerobic, higher intensity, intermittent type activities like hockey, weightlifting, even soccer type activities. And, and we're again, seeing sports specific benefits from caffeine ingestion in those types of activities as well. So it kind of is a combination. There are some physiological mechanisms of action of how it can improve maybe muscle contractility, may improve fat mobilization to offer a, and kind of an additional energy source during those types of activities. But then it's also thought that a lot of the benefits may just come from more of the subjective and cognitive performance benefits as well. So just improving alertness, reaction time, reducing sensations of fatigue, and kind of just quote unquote getting athletes amped up before they, they go and do a type of activity. So that's kind of where a lot of the performance benefits are thought to come from. All right. Back a few years now, when I was in high school, uh, we would kind of bulk up on a high carbohydrate meal prior to a sporting event. And that was about as much nutritional supplements we would take prior to a performance. Are there any supplements that athletes take now that um, they take just prior to uh, a performance? I would say caffeine or excuse me, carbohydrate, like you said, is still one, if you want to think of it as a supplement or just a nutritional strategy, but definitely consuming higher carbohydrate type food sources, more so the days leading up to competition are still a, a well-supported nutritional strategy for improving performance. But if we look at more of the immediate short-term 30 minutes to an hour before any type of training or, or sport activity, caffeine is really the only ingredient that is going to exert a, a quick enough action to actually improve performance in kind of a short time window like that. Any other supplement or ingredient, creatine, beta alanine, the other ones I mentioned, you have to take those over a continued amount of time before you start to see their performance benefits emerge. So it's not really just kind of a one-time ingestion and then 30 minutes later, you, you may perform better with the exception of caffeine. That's the one that has more of a short acting physiological benefit where you could see some immediate performance improvements. I am a little bit hesitant to recommend that strategy to younger athletes. I don't think it's the best of habits for them to get into it at earlier ages. So I try to kind of steer them away from using things like pre-workouts or energy drinks, energy shots, really probably not the best strategy for again, younger athletes. You could get a lot of the similar type benefits from even just ingesting a black coffee. If you need a pick me up, there's, you know, plenty of caffeine and, and regular black coffee. So it doesn't necessarily have to be packaged in a energy drink or pre-workout type of packaging. You can, it, caffeine is, is caffeine for the most part. So it's more so the dose that you're getting and, and when you're taking it. Well, let's conclude by asking you to give us maybe two or three kind of take-home points regarding nutritional supplements. With supplements, the thing I usually emphasize the most is quality over quantity. So making sure, again, you're, you're choosing high-quality products that are reputable companies that do things the right way, maybe subscribe to third-party testing. So that's kind of the best way to start when we answer the question of whether or not supplements are safe. It really depends on 
the company and the, the manufacturer itself before we can get into kind of anything after that. So using high quality products from reputable companies is a good place to start. Uh, and maybe even something I should have mentioned before that, but again, supplements are really going to only work or offer performance benefits if that athlete is doing all the other little things first. So proper training, proper nutrition, getting enough sleep at night, adequate rest, those things have to be taken into consideration first before we can, again, start the conversation of supplements. And, and for not all, but some supplements, you could also get the same benefit from whole food sources. So you, you don't have to necessarily do a protein shake or bar. You could eat whole food sources of protein and, and still get very similar benefits. So again, for younger athletes, especially, I, I try to emphasize whole food options first before, again, bringing up the topic of, of supplements. And the other thing I would recommend too is make sure that you try something this goes for supplements or any nutritional strategy. Try it out in practice or training first before you take something on a game day or before a big race. Never take anything new on a game day or race day and find out the hard way that it may not sit well in the stomach uh, or you don't respond to it well. So again, try something out on a practice day or, or an off day even uh, if you're taking something new for the first time to make sure it's well tolerated. Good advice. Well, we've been discussing nutritional supplements for athletes with Dr. Andrew Jagum, the Director of Sports Medicine Research at the Mayo Clinic. Andrew, this has been a fascinating topic, and thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thanks for having me on. I'm always passionate to talk about supplements. Well, you can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.